Genesis chapter uh, 4, verses 4 through 5, just two verses, so please stand. All right, this is from the prophet Amos. He says, Come to Bethel and transgress to Gilgal and multiply your transgressions. Bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every three days. Offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving of that which is leavened. And proclaim free will offerings. Publish them, for so you love to do, O people of Israel, declares the Lord. Holy Spirit, you are welcomed here. Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere. Amen. Amen. Whew. Please be seated. Actually, I asked Renee last night, I said, you think I should change that? And Because uh, I just did it that one first Sunday, and she said, I don't think Miss Debbie would like it if you changed it. <laughs> so, uh, but, but it does bring a peace upon me, so, uh, so thank you for that. Um, okay, this is one of my favorite childhood games. Hopefully many of you uh, like it as well. Battleship, all right? Everybody play Battleship? If you raise your hands, everybody's, hopefully, it's one of those childhood games, right? It uh, started out on a paper copy in 1930s, for those that uh, played it in the 1930s. And then in uh, 1957, it came out in, in a physical edition here. So, um, but there's several good memories, and we've got, you know, four kids, and that's what we, we prayed with, with Carl, is we pray, pray for, Renee said, pray for our children, all eight of them. Yeah. So it's like you add them up, right? So we play a lot of games, and uh, Battleship, we've had a, good, a lot of good times and good memories. One of the most painful one uh, was when we played Battleship and uh, Daniel was learning uh, his numbers and letters. Oh, it was horrible. It was J... G? J... 4. No, no, honey, this top one. Oh, it took forever <laughs> to play that game. It took forever. And then one night I was sitting there and I had one of my small ships on the bottom. And I was playing one of my daughters. I'll leave it a 50-50 chance for you to guess. And um, I noticed she just started going across the bottom row. J1, J2, J3, J4. It's like, what is she doing? And Renee leans and whispers in my ear. And she goes, she's cheating. She's looking at the reflection in the window. And I had one. I had one on the bottom. I had one on row I. I went up from the bottom. And I was like, what? She's cheating. And then, and then we've had the uh, epic is a word that uh, is just uh, a little misused today. But uh, my son had an epic comeback where I was up four to zero uh, on him. But I was missing the little fella. And he came back and beat me five to four when I was up four ships on him. And, uh, but so Battleship is a lot of fun for, for my family uh, when we go out there. So, um, yes, I'm going to tie this together. So Amos okay, is a uh, Old Testament prophet. Of course, his name means burden bearer. And he's from a village called Tekoa, all right, from Tekoa. And the name of that uh, village means trumpet blast. So I love how God connects the dots, right? And I like, um, and you'll see today how God connects a few things and how he brought some of these things to message. I did not ask Chris to sing this little light of mine, uh, but we will reference that later. I didn't ask them two guys to wear their fluorescent shirts and they're sitting side by side, so that's even funnier to me. Um, 
but, right, but how God brings these small things together. So he has this prophet that he puts a burden on his heart to go blast the message to the Israel, to the kingdom of northern Israel. Right? So all of those names mean something. Amos gets a bad rap initially of just being a, a poor farmer from the south. And he goes from his southern kingdom up to the northern kingdom. But he's really a smart and sophisticated pretty prophet. He had a good strategy to attack the Israelites here as prophecy. That's why we've got this battleship. All right, so um, I'm going to put a few pieces on the board here. And yes, I have more than five ships. But I want to show you this. Um, so his first, and actually you can turn with me to Amos chapter 1. Uh, if you've got your Bible open, you can turn to chapter, chapter 1. And what he does is he starts talking about um, Damascus. Okay? He starts talking about Damascus. I'm going to put Damascus on my little, my little board up here. And yes, this is the wrong area for the, the ships, but so you can see it. And I don't dip all of my pegs. Right? He starts talking about Damascus. All right? And then you go down and he starts talking about Gaza. All right? And Gaza is way down here. I'm making a map. Okay? Starts talking about Gaza. And then he starts talking about Tyre, city of Tyre. And it's up here. All right. And then he goes down and he starts talking about Edom in verse 11. All right. And Edom is probably over here somewhere. All right. Oh, I don't want to stay in. Okay. And then he starts talking about the kingdom of Ammon. All right. It's over here. There's a couple more. He starts talking about Moab. All right. Moab gets a little ship because I'm running out of ships. Okay. Moab. He's talking about all of these places, right? And he's making a little circle. And then he goes and he talks about Judah, the kingdom that he's from. But then the last one he talks about is the northern kingdom of Israel that had just split up. So a lot of times we like to compare ourselves to the people around us, right? So the people, the Israelites that Amos is talking to today that we're going to look at, he's like, oh wait, you remember them? Remember what they did? Oh yeah, yeah, get them. Yeah, peg them. Hit them, right? Put one of these little red dots up there. Right? Put one of those little red dots on him. Yeah, get that guy. Right? But then he turns the ship. Oh, that was good. Right? All right? And he points it right at them. Right? Israelites. So Amos had a very good strategy. I'm going to set this over here. Had a very good strategy for opening up. Because you can't just walk into somebody's house and start talking bad about them. But he had a message for them that was pretty bad for them. Okay? So we talked about Damascus, Gaza, Tyre, Edom, Ammonites. And a couple of the things that they had done were true, but they were bad things that they did. So Damascus was the, um, and, and what I loved about preparing for this message is that in the book of 2 Kings and some other Old Testament books that tell the chronological order, it's like, this is what happened, and here's the book, the date that it happened, but then Amos is talking about all of it, and we're going to connect some of those dots today. Right? But Damascus, he got them for the harsh treatment of others. Gaza exiled a lot of the Israelites, their harsh treatment. The city of Tyre, um, they cut off the Israelites and sold them into slavery. Uh, the uh, people of Edom, um, they actually had some good relationships with them, but then it went south. Um, the Ammonites were descendants of Lot. 
they tried to leave Israel with no heir, so he talked about them. That's pretty tough about where they, um, they ripped open the pregnant women in Gilead. And, and just there's so many social issues that will connect to this in a little bit. Then Moab, the mistreatment of their relatives. Judah, they rejected the law. Um, didn't talk about any specifics, but he said they rejected the law, God's law. And then that pointed to James 2.10 um, here. And I think this is a, a small, powerful verse. But for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point, has become guilty of all of it. So that New Testament verse can relate back to that Old Testament verse where it didn't specifically say um, what the people of Judah had done, um, but it wasn't what God had commanded. So he goes through and he tells uh, each of these things. Um, actually, for each little verse, it starts for three transgressions of and for four. And so what that little phrase means is simply... They disobeyed not one time, not two times, not three times, not four. They kept disobeying, right? But this is just part of the poetic nature uh, of his message. But then in verse 6 is when he gets to Israel, verse 2-6. So if you can turn with me there, we're going to step through a few of these um, that the Israelites did. Um, he got on them because he says, They sell the righteousness for silver and needy. For a pair of sandals in verse 6. And that's essentially it. right? There's nothing really deep there in that meaning except for that. They sold people into slavery so they could buy shoes. They didn't care about the poor people of the time. They trampled the head of the poor into the dust of the earth. They walked all over them. They probably spit, spat on them. It talked about sexual morality here. And profaning God's holy name. The word profane there uh, in this passage really just kind of struck with me this week. Because what does profane mean? God's talking about here, it's just such a strong nature. Where people see what people are supposedly doing to represent somebody. Right? So the Israelites were supposed to be obeying God's law. So that they could be a light to their time period. But they were doing all of these things, treating, mistreating people, sexual morality, selling people to slavery, doing all of these things. That's supposed to be God's way of treating people. So that word profane there. Uh, then it goes, lay themselves down beside every altar on garment taken in pledge. Like, what does that mean? Right? What does that mean? But then I love it because you can go back and look at it. Exodus twenty two twenty six. Exodus twenty two twenty six says... If you take, which this is a great section, by the way, if you want to read it, uh, the whole Exodus 22, 16 down through 31 are social issues, how the Old Testament addressed social issues. But 26, I was trying to learn this one. If you ever take your neighbor's cloak and pledge, meaning he owes you something, um, you shall return it to him before the sun goes down. For that is his only covering, and it is his cloak for his body. And what else shall he sleep? And I love this because it repeats, And if he cries to me, I, being God, will hear, for I am compassionate. So the Israelites, the northern kingdom here, they were essentially taking the coat, the only coat that this person had, and never giving it back. And then they would be laying down. You know, talked about you know, your recline at the table as part of that custom and culture. They would be laying on their coats for comfort. Right? So they had no care, no compassion 
for the people whatsoever. And then the last one there in that uh, 2, 6 uh, verse there is, uh, they would drink to the point of drunkenness in God's house. They had no control whatsoever. So there are several other passages that Amos goes on to that leads us uh, to our passage that we read in chapters, Amos chapter 4 through 5, right? Uh, it takes us back there. And hopefully you got the point that this is a very sarcastic passage. Everybody get that? Everybody look at that. Because I don't want you to run out of here and say, Oh yeah, Kevin said I could go sin, do whatever I want. All right? I just want to make sure we clarify that. Um, but that's how often and how frequent uh, that the Israelites were just sinning. Um, so that is why Amos shares this message in this tone. So come to Bethel and transgress, to Gilgal and multiply transgressions. Um, so Bethel, again, this is a little bit of a, a history lesson, so stay with me because it, it's important to... So what is Bethel? Right? So then I go to... Genesis 28, 18. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured out on top of it the oil. He called the name of that place Bethel. So these places were important to God. And they were important in times of history, the Israelite history, but they were being defaced. And again in Genesis 35, 14, God said to Jacob, Arise! Go up to Bethel and dwell there. Make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and all who are with him, Put away the foreign gods that you are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments. Then let us arise up and go to Bethel so that I may make there an altar to God who answers me in the day of my distress. Answers me in the day of stress. And then Gilgal is actually from Joshua. Joshua 4.19, the people came out from the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month. Excuse me. And they encamped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And these twelve stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. And he said to the people of Israel, When you children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? They shall let your children know Israel passed over the Jordan on dry ground. So we have special places uh, these are the special places in their uh, history. Right? We have special places in our history as well. But these things would just be simple like our behavior coming into church, right? coming in here, taking the clothes off people's back. You know, forget the clothing closet. It would be the opposite of the clothing closet. Right? It would be the total opposite. We collect things to give to people that are in need. It would be like them coming in here and we take them from them. Right? Is, is what they were doing. They had no care, no compassion for the people, and they had turned these places of Bethel and Gagal as false places of worship. Um, all right, and then it says, uh, come to Bethel and transgress. So if I were to ask you what the word transgression means, a lot of people would simply interchange that with the word sin. Right? Um, and may, sometimes they are interchangeable. But in this case, when I study it, there's a different level between sin and transgression. Sin is kind of like you miss the mark on something, but transgression is when you knowingly do it. Right? So they were knowingly um, going in here, and um, here's the definition of transgression. Uh, is the act of passing over or beyond any law or rule of moral duty, the violation of a law or known principle of rectitude. A person is knowingly disobeying God's commandment. Right. So 
sin and transgression. Transgression here, he's going a little bit hard. He could have said, um, he could have said, you know, keep sinning, but he said transgression. They knew what they were doing wrong. All right. Then he says, bring your sacrifices every morning and your tithe every three days. All right. So he just continues to pour on the sarcasm. You know, open that gallon of sweet tea, keep pouring it on. All right. Um, because offering your sacrifices was not something they did every day. It was something they did every year. They brought their sacrifices on an annual basis. Right? But he's saying, just bring it every day. Just keep doing it. Right? Um, and then your tithes every three days. And tithing in that cycle um, was about every three years. Right? So they're just going through this routine. They're just keep doing this. I don't know why they're doing it. I don't know if they know that they're sinning. And they want to just try to keep atoning for it themselves. And they just keep doing that. Um, but then um, when, they talk, when I think about it that way, you know, Pastor Huff mentioned Martin Luther. And that's one of those things where the Catholic Church was selling the indulgences to, to prepay for sin. It's almost like this is what the people uh, of Israel were doing here at this time. And it says, Amos tells them to offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving of which is leavened. Now, do you hear about leavened bread much when we read? You hear about unleavened bread a lot of times, don't you? Yeah, it's a small thing, but I was like, here, why did he say leavened bread? You're right, he's on this sarcasm, the streak of sarcasm, right? But he says here, leavened bread. So unleavened bread, right, um, is where we, it's symbolic of their exodus from Egypt, right? They said, whoa, grab your bread. You don't have time for it to rise. You, know, like, you don't have time for it to rise. Grab it, prepare it, we're going, right? You don't have time for it to rise. And he says here, you know, just go ahead, take your time, go ahead and make it, you know, and then you can sacrifice it. And then, and proclaim free will offerings, publish them, for so you love to do. So free will offerings are just that, they were free to give, but they still had to be given in a certain way and in a certain manner. Um, but again, they were given the free will offerings quite often, but where'd they get them from? They took them from the poor people. And then they gave them every day, practically every day. Did they do it to thank God for it? They did it to show off. Oh, look what I gave. Oh, I gave five times this week. You know? So there's a lot of things here in this passage, and that's the, the history portion of it, uh, to just try to understand the nature here of what the northern uh, kingdom was going through. Um, in Israel. All right. So now I just drew I just drew the target around us. Right. And th this is a topic today that um, even I struggle with with this first takeaway. So I definitely feel like uh, as I've studied and I've prepared that I'm preparing this for myself. But there's there's two things that I want to just share today of how we are like the northern Israelite kingdom that Amos is speaking to. And the first one is, wealth and security leads to apathy. Wealth and security leads to apathy. All right, so just to be clear on the definition of apathy. Okay. Apathy is a lack of feeling, a calmness in your mind that's incapable of being ruffled by pleasure, pain, or passion. When I think of the word apathy, I think of just a flat line. You just, you don't care about anything, so if you're up, you're up, you're down, you're down, but you always feel just like this. Right? 
Nothing can stir your emotions. There's not a care in your mind or your body. So Amos is speaking to a group here that has wealth. They just had the, the King Jeroboam the second. He had just you know, conquered this new territory. He had got all this wealth for people. It's a secure time. Life is great. I can't think about how, I keep thinking about how much land that we have and how much money that we have. As a nation, Pastor Huff just mentioned to me this morning a sermon that he had watched about how, you know, we live on $90 a day on average in America, but other countries it's a dollar, right? And we struggle with the fact of, oh, we can't buy a house, we have to rent a house, but other people don't even have houses. So it's totally rampant um, and applicable to not only America as a nation, but as Kevin as a person. The worst part about being apathetic toward a need or issue is the fact that you recognize the need, but you don't do anything about it. You recognize the need, but you don't do anything about it. And a small example of that, in a, you know, I mentioned that I listen to K-Love. Several of you do. Several of you listen to other channels, which is, which is fine, as long as it's positive and uplifting. Um, but, but, even, but even that, Renee was like, Renee you know, shared with me last night how they had a, a seminar coming up. Oops, sorry. They had a seminar coming up, and uh, it was very focused on you the person right and so you've got to filter that out of the american gospel to make sure it's not all about us we're not the center of the gospel jesus is right jesus is and they have um but on on the radio channel as many stations do they have a pledge drive right they have a pledge drive and this drives me absolutely nuts because they do it twice a year and so many times they go into overtime you know what i mean they go into overtime on the pledge drive but what drives me nuts about it is that if everybody that listens to the channel would give like $3 one time, the whole thing would be paid for. But it takes them 10 days to get people to give $40 a month to, to keep the radio going. But if everybody that listens would give $3 one time, it'd be done, right? Now that's a, a small, silly, funny example, but y'all can relate to it, right? But people are apathetic toward that cause. They, but it's just... That cause is important to me because of the encouragement that it gives my family and how it can uplift people in the darkest time just by turning to a random radio channel and they can find hope because they hear a song about Jesus. That's worth my money, right? That's worth my money, right? But that, that's a, just a, a fun example of being apathetic. Um, if you can have a fun example, but one that's relatable. Um, the Israelites in our passage today, they gave their tithes, they gave their money, they gave it all in excess, but they gave it just to show off, and they really weren't caring for the needs of the poor. And it is crystal clear, it is crystal clear in God's Word what we're entitled to do for caring for the poor. So we're going to break this up. Debbie, you're going to start it for me, right? Okay. So the man cried, and what did God do? He heard him, and he saved him. Did he ignore him? No, he didn't ignore him. God set the example for us in that one verse. He sets the example for us in many others. How's it going? All right, 
Heather. You have to look for the needs of others, right? And you do something about it. You know, I joke with Renee, I'm trying to do a gluten-free diet. I just, if you give your poor away, I just give all my bread away because I can't eat the bread, um, right? But you have it and you give it away. So the one that Debbie shared was from David. The one that Heather just shared was from King Solomon. There's one in Proverbs 31.20, and we're going to look at a few of those. Proverbs 31.20 uh, from the virtuous woman. She opens her hand to the poor... And reaches out her hands to the needy. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out to the hands of the needy. So I, I like the imagery of this uh, verse in so many ways because she opens her hand and then she reaches out. Right? They didn't wait, she didn't wait for them to come. She reached out. Big sports guy says so a tough time of year. But I think about how we've been trained. Right? So in football, when you're trained for football, right, and you're the running back, you're told to tuck it right here. Right? And you protect that ball. Star Wars. Right? You, tuck, you tuck the ball, right? So nobody can hit it. Nobody can get it. In basketball, you're trained for a triple threat position. Right? So you're here. And nobody can steal your ball. You can shoot, pass, or dribble. Right? It's called triple threat. But when we do these things, we're told to protect the ball. We train all of our kids to protect the ball. We train ourselves to protect our money. We train ourselves to protect our time. Right? But when somebody holds out their hand and they need time, right? They need time, right? They need money, right? We're called, there's like $3, but if you want to split it, we'll split it. Um, right? right? But when somebody holds out their hand, we are called to give it. It's not just money. And, and that's the thing that I want to, you'll hear me say probably one other time today, it's not just money. I'm not talking about the poor physically, which is a, I would say, I don't have a graph, but I would say oh, it feels like 80%. It talks about the poor and the needy, and we are called to take care of that. But there's other things in there that are poor in spirit. Right? They don't need this. They don't need this. They need this. Right? And we're called to share that with people. Okay? Get all back together here. Right? Leave the wallet there. Yeah. Um, but, but that one, that one right there from the, from the virtuous woman is, is one that, that's really stuck with me. I just keep continuing to see to where we can't protect everything we have that's right here. We have to trust God with it, and let's use it. All right, Daniel 4.27 um, is the next one. Daniel 4.27. Therefore, O king, he's actually he's interpreting his, uh, the king's second dream. He says, Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed that there may be perhaps a lengthening to your prosperity. Um, I read a, a quote from Carla uh, Hawkins. She says, The prophet Amos, or Daniel, excuse me, 
uh, warn him that pride and a lack of mercy would take away his prosperity from the king if he continued acting with unrighteousness. It is interesting to me that God was willing to have mercy on the king if he reached out in compassion for the poor and needy. Now we all know that God will have mercy on us if we accept Christ. And he will have mercy on us on the day of judgment. I want to give him a reason to show me mercy. He doesn't have to. That's what is so incredible about God is we don't have to give God a reason to show mercy. But Daniel says right here, if he sheds off those acts of unrighteousness and shows mercy to the oppressed, then he will receive compassion from God. Right. So from this one, right, I, I want to give God a reason. We don't have to, but I want to. Pam's got the next one. Thank you. So the young man here, he wanted to take the next step, right, in his faith. He's like, oh, Jesus is coming to town, right? I can see what that next step in my faith will be, right? But what did Jesus challenge him with? He challenged him with his money. And we kind of learned where his heart was at, right? Because um, he could not part with that. He could not give it to who? He could not give it to the poor, Right? So Malcolm Forbes coined the phrase, he who dies with the most toys wins, right? And that's just a sad story if you read you know, some of that in the history, but this phrase is coined, it's on shirts, it's on trucks. I remember it was on a monster, monster truck when I was little, right? But this phrase is everywhere. But that was the mindset of the Israelites in this time of the prophecy of Amos um, to where and the same as the tendency of the rich young ruler and the mindset of many of us today. We need to collect, we need to collect, we need to collect, we need to collect because it's what I want, it's what I want. You know, Renee said, Renee said yesterday, she said, if we didn't have hobbies, we wouldn't have nearly this much stuff. Right? <laughs> and then we got into this, uh, she got a new sewing machine. Yes, I'm picking on her. Um, she got another sewing machine, but she wants to do a little ministry. More to come with that uh, later. But uh, I looked over at her row of sewing machines and I said, Honey, I got a new rule. You can have as many, you can have the number of my fishing rods minus one for the number of your sewing machines. So right now she's still good because I got a lot of fishing rods. Right? So she's good. If I got 12 fishing rods, she can have 11 sewing machines. Right? But no, we have fun with that. Right? But we want to use what we enjoy to bring other people to Christ. So yes, we are trying to rearrange our basement. So I guess I'm putting her on the timer here, timer on the clock. But, you know, to have a quilting ministry to help others in need, right? I just got done. I have, I have two goals uh, this year because we try to set a few goals. This is the first year we officially done with all of our kids. I have two goals this year. Um, one was to hold a Fishers and Men fishing tournament, um, which is a great blast. Thanks for all those that supported that. Right to reach other people for Christ. I hate that the last one that we that we had a guy come up and said, "Oh, my daughter would love this. When's your next one?" I'm like, ah, "Coming soon, right?" Because we just had two planned. And then my second one um, is that I want to help support paternal counseling 
for those in the um, questioning abortion because the father side is often neglected. Um, so that's my second goal. So actually, I guess I'm opening that up if anybody has any uh, ways I can get connected in that. Um, but take what you enjoy, take the spiritual gift that God's given you and help serve those that are less fortunate or maybe not even less fortunate. Maybe they're more needy. Not needy in a bad way, but maybe they're lacking something spiritually and you know that you can fill that void for them. Maybe they need time. Maybe they need support. Give it to them. And Galatians 2.10. Renee, hopefully read that for me since I... So this one is a small... Read it one more time. Right, so th this is uh, from the Apostle Paul, right? This is from Apostle Paul, and he is writing there that where um, the other apostles have accepted him. They've accepted him, uh, and uh, that he has a mission to share uh, the gospel with the Gentiles, right? And I like the, the phrase that she just read, only they ask us to remember the poor. So he knows that Paul's getting ready to go out and go to the Gentiles, but the apostles, think of the original uh, 12, 11, right? And they were like, okay, do we accept him to go and spread? And they did, but they just gave him one final takeaway. Only remember the poor. They didn't get into any theological debate on whether you dunk or you sprinkle or what time of service, what day of service. They didn't get any of that. The only, the, the lasting piece of advice they gave to Paul before he started his mission to the Gentiles was remember the poor. Remember the poor. That speaks volumes to me because of anything they could have said, it was remember the poor was the only thing that they said. So um, we have King David, King Solomon, Proverbs 31, uh, woman, Daniel, Jesus, the apostles. Um, who else do we need to call us into action? It's not me. It's not Huff. It's got to be you, Right? If all of these people, these great people in the Bible, tell us to take care of the poor, what's stopping us? We cannot be apathetic toward the needs of other people, whatever they may be. As I said, it's not just money. It can be time. It can be spiritual guidance. There's all these different buckets. If you research it, all these people put all these needs in a certain bucket and we've got six or seven or nine different buckets. But all I'm asking you today is just see a person's need. That's my prayer for everybody here is for you to see a person's need. It could be a fellow church member. It could be a fellow co-worker. It could be a person at the food line. It could be a person at Jules. Whatever they need. Yes, I worked that in the sermon. Right? I'll take that dollar now. I can work it in the sermon. No, but see the need wherever you are at is, is my prayer today. And I share with you those, my, my two goals. I hope that you have um, some goals of your own. And I don't want you to, I don't want you to say, oh, yeah, that, that, was a, that was a good message today. I need to do something. Uh, I'm going to go buy somebody an ice cream cone or I'm going to buy somebody, you know, Arby's lunch that might be down on their luck or whatever. No, that's not what I'm talking about. I don't want you to forget the needs of others this afternoon after you do that. I don't want you to forget the needs of others on Wednesday. I don't want you to forget the needs of people next Sunday. You need to be looking for other people's needs at all times. At all times. Somebody's probably saying, well, what about my needs? 
That's God's department. And that's also the church's department. That's the church's department. So what we were talking about here this morning, we take care of us. Huff says, painful week, but one of the joyous weeks. That's what the church is for, to help us. That's how God uses the church, to help support each other, right? And feel what we need, okay? So I said, don't be apathetic, right? And if you can't remember the word apathetic, this is where the title of the sermon comes in, just chop off the A. And that's my challenge, is don't be pathetic. Okay? Chop off the A. We're trying to decide to do something or not for somebody. Tell yourselves, don't be pathetic. Right? When it comes to our call. All right. The second way we are like the Israelites is that we are free, and this one hurts. We are free to fully know and understand God's word, yet we stand ignorant of it. Yet we stand ignorant. How many people have a Bible at home? How many people have more than two at home? How many people will read it every day? We stand ignorant to the Word of God. This, this is the best book ever written. If you don't believe it, just look at the numbers. I mean, it's the best-selling book of all time. But it's much more powerful than that. It's got every... Well, I don't find it interesting. I find it... My son... Uh, Awesome. He, he had a reading plan last year. He read through the whole Bible. I was so proud of him. Awesome. He read through it. Has he read it lately? And him and his sister are doing this reading competition at the library. Oh, my gracious. They keep a log of every minute they read. Like, well, I'm out of books. You read your Bible yet? No. No. Just like us. We get distracted with things or... I think, well, it's just the Bible. It's just the Bible. It's the most important book of all time. You should sleep on it. Literally. Put it under your pillow. Right? But soak it up. Right? One of the worst times I've had, probably share this story, one of the worst times I had, I didn't know what to say, didn't know what to do, didn't know what to read. I just fell asleep holding this. Because it was the source of comfort that I needed. But read it every day. You've heard this before, too. It don't matter what version it is. The best version is the version that you read. Right? The ESV, I like it. It's easy to read. King James, New King James, NIV, it doesn't matter. If you go to Bible Gateway, do you realize how far you have to scroll down to get through all the versions? It's a long way. <laughs> Rob's like, yep. Because you do, you, got, you look at different verses, but there's so many different translations. Right? But read it. Read it. We cannot be ignorant of it. But it was apparently here... That in this Amos' prophecy, that the people of Israel had disregarded it all. And the reason Amos was coming after him is because God holds us more accountable than non-believers. God holds us more accountable than non-believers. Because we know what we should be doing, but yet we choose not to do it. For whatever reason that you come up with. Matthew 4.19 says, come follow me. It doesn't say come sit with me. It doesn't say come sit with me. It says come follow me. Right? There's going to be action. Right? There's going to be action. So, because we have to take this word, we have to take this gospel. We can't, 
I love it when Pastor Ruff says, we're not a big program church, because that is a growth strategy. Church Growth 301, they're strategies, right? To grow the church, right? We shouldn't be a program church in here. We should be a program church out there. What do they need? When we're singing this little light of mine, I kept thinking to myself, well, what good is my light? It's one light. Now think of the illustration you shared a couple weeks ago with one light in a dark cave. But I think, well, my one light. Now think of the purpose of the church again. I just I glanced over there. 65 lights. Right? How bright is 65 lights? Right? And then we join with the bigger church, the greater church of all the lights that we can do. Because we have to carry it out. Because Jesus can solve every need, every hurt, any pain that everybody has. But somebody has to tell about it. Somebody has to tell about it. That's part of the Great Commission. It's actually not just the Great Commission. It's the Great Commissions. There's five of them. There's one in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. There's five different Great Commissions. My English teacher told me that if I repeat it more than once, it's going to be on the test. Well, guess what? Five times, right? So we are called to go and share it. All right, we're going to read a... Um, Brian, did you get the somebody, nobody story? Okay, all right. I'm going to read this to you. Follow along because it's complicated. It is in the church app if you got it. Thank you. All right, I'm going to read this little story because it's applicable. You can apply it to any situation. I want you to think about it in the context of what we're doing today. All right. This is a story about four friends. Everybody, somebody, anybody, and nobody. Four friends. Okay. This is a story about four people named everybody, somebody, anybody, nobody. There was an important job to be done. And everybody was sure that somebody would do it. Anybody could have done it, but nobody did it. Somebody got angry about that because it was everyone's job. Everybody thought anybody could do it, but nobody realized that everybody wouldn't do it. It ended up that everybody blamed somebody when nobody did what anybody could have done. So true. It's not the pastor's job to tell people about Jesus. He trains us. We go tell people about Jesus. We don't ask them to come here. We don't lure them to come here. We can. It's one way. But when you make the connection and meet the need, that opens the door to share it. So that's a fun story. It's a fun story about sharing where we cannot sit idle thinking that somebody else will do it. We have a greater responsibility because we know who Jesus Christ is. We know the hope that he has and that we should bring it to the world. The people that Amos was in the northern kingdom, uh, they knew the rules. They knew what they were supposed to do, but they simply did not do it. Israel was supposed to be the light of Christ in that, not light of Christ, the light of God in that time of the Old Testament. We are called to be the light of Christ now. Right now. So, they just kept sinning. They just kept offering meaningless sacrifices and offerings to do what? To make themselves look good and make themselves feel good. So why are you here this morning? 
Are you here because it makes you feel good to be here? Are you here because you're supposed to be here? Because you're a good Christian? I hope that that's not why you're here. Because if that's the reason you're here, then Amos is still speaking to you today. Right? It's the same message today. We should not be here to feel good and look good. We are here to thank God for saving us, being our provider, being our sustainer. We're here to sing Him, to pray, sing songs to Him, to praise Him, to open His Word. God smiles every time you open His Word. If you don't want to open the Word, click on the app. That's even more reason to why we cannot be ignorant to God's Word. We have unlimited access to God's Word. You may not believe it, but you've got unlimited time for God's Word, too. You do. You make time for what's important for you. Priority frenzy. I've said it before. You make time for what's important for you. God wants you to understand your place in this world. Our culture especially wants us to be the best. We're the top. It's all about us. It's all about me. All about I. Don't finish the song. All right? But God wants you to understand that He is God. He is the creator. You are not the creator. You are nothing compared to His abilities and to His glory. You need Him for every breath. You need Him for every step. And you should be thankful for every one that He gives you. You are nobody that wants to tell everybody about somebody that saved your soul. Right? So a couple of dots that connected to form this message today that tells me just how God good is, how God, good God is, is the, the story that I read about somebody, anybody, nobody comes together as I'm preparing this message with a song that Brian, were you able to find? Cool. That Brian was able to find that fits into a prophecy from thousands of years ago. That's what I want to show you now. Just enjoy the song. Think about the words that's in there.